0: About a year and a half ago, I heard the material he was about to present to you, and I heard it online, and I said to him, will you please figure out a weekend where you can come to Community Alliance Church and share it? I just now heard it live, and you are in for an amazing event. been a professor at Nyack Theological Seminary, Alliance Theological Seminary for the last 27 years, president of global leadership incorporated around the world in 30 countries, and God has used him and continues to use him in amazing ways. You will not want to not only listen to what he has to say this morning. There are a lot of books out there that will help you in the processing of that. You will want to make sure you listen carefully to everything he has to say to you. And more importantly, everything God the Father has to say to you this morning. Connie and I are leaving actually in a few minutes for another event. So I won't be here for the next few days. And next Sunday we're going to celebrate communion in a way that you will never forget. But this morning, listen carefully to the voice of the Father as he speaks to you through a great friend, Martin Sanders.
1: prefer to do my own introductions. That way I can say things I like about me. And uh, so allow me to say what Denny doesn't know and couldn't say. There are three sides to Martin Sanders. And some of you are looking saying, I think there's enough mass for more than three, but we'll stick with three for now. The first one is uh, I'm a regular guy. You have to say that because I've, I've been enough places. When you get up to speak and you say, Uh, He's been a seminary professor for like more than a quarter century, and even now I I only run doctoral programs. It's like, wow, this guy's like dull. (laughs) And so you have to say this. So I'm a regular guy, um, have uh, married 40 years, have four children. Um, But before I got into what I do now, I thought I was going to be a dairy farmer my whole life. So I uh, had one child, one on the way when he came to Christ, and just thought I would be a dairy farmer so it's true I am a certified artificial inseminator of cattle and uh, it looks good on my wall beside my ordination and I've discovered it gives me great credibility in marriage counseling you you can figure that one out later second side of me is I'm a researcher but in my mind I research interesting things not like other professors I, I research interesting things and I'm always coming up with things to to survey people on. And so one of my favorite ones, travel a lot and like flying here because you're in a plane a lot, you get automatic upgrades to first class. And so one of the first questions typically asked is what do you do? So I always change my, comp- my, uh, my profession based on the kind of conversation I want to have. So I'm, I'm a variety of things. But my favorite one is I'm a researcher. And they go, really, what do you research? And I said, I research why unchurched people don't go to church do you go to church? No. May I interview you? (laughs) Great conversations. Love those conversations. Third side of me is coming to Christ as an adult. I figured out pretty quickly, I've got this one life, not growing up in church, not growing up around faith. I figured out, seriously, I got this one life. I want to invest it well. And for me, I figured out that one of the best ways to do that was to figure out no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you need. I don't care if you're young or or old, gay or straight, male or female. My job is to connect you with the father of my soul who's made such a difference. I love that. That's my gig. Your job is to figure out yours. Let's talk this morning. I know you're in a series in Joshua. So let's talk about Joshua and the power of words. You, you know the power of words. The Bible illustrates it incredibly well. But since we're in Joshua, you are, let me work with Joshua and do uh, what the power of words look like there. In Joshua, God speaks clearly to people and it's recorded for us. One of the things I love about the book of Joshua is there's, it, it, it describes people by their character, by their spirit. There's often these recurring phrases about people. Now, you know this, but whenever you're with a group of people and someone walks away, whether it's said out loud or not, there's always some statement about them. Like, what a schmuck. <laughs> or something worse under your breath. Or sometimes it's like... I love when she's around. Like, I, I just feel better when I've had a conversation with her. Well, here's the point you get to decide what they say about you when you walk away. And Joshua just illustrates that incredibly well because these exact phrases that God speaks over people. So, in Joshua chapter one, Joshua said, God says clearly to Joshua, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Did you get it? I said, be strong and incredibly courageous. Get this one right, buddy. Get into chapter 7, and Achan decided, the rules that applied to everybody else didn't apply to him, and he decided to take some stuff that was under the ban. Thought, I'll just, I'll skim a little for myself. You know those kind of people. He was one of those. But because of that, they not only lost a battle, but 36 people, sons, fathers, uncles, died needlessly. And so Joshua did what he knows best. He did the repentance. we, We know how to do that. And Joshua was doing his style. Sackcloth, ashes, plucking his beard, his hair, had his face buried in the dirt. And God said to him, Joshua, get up. Get up. It's time to set things straight. And he says to him, Joshua, get up. What are you doing down there? I will not be with you anymore unless. Now, just for the record, you never want God to say that one to you. There's a thing called prophetic blessing in scripture. I don't think we've had enough teaching on this one. But prophetic blessings are the blessings of God will come to you with a condition or a warning if or when. If you do this, God will follow through. He'll come when you have done this. That's here. When you get to chapter 14, you get Caleb. Caleb's just one of those great guys. You remember the, the, the phrase of Caleb's spirit, don't you? Caleb had a different spirit. He followed the Lord fully all of his days. And so it actually says, God says of Caleb, you will receive your inheritance, the place where your feet are standing today. Because you have followed the Lord wholeheartedly all of your days. Now, what I love about the Caleb story is he didn't say this about himself. God said this, and he repeated it. He owned it. He owned his phrase. And so in the midst of all of the other people of Israel, he said, I want this. I'm going to get this because, as you know, and he says it in front of everybody, I followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly all my days. Now, that's courage and integrity lived out and then the last phrase that I love also a Caleb phrase from chapter 14 he said the Lord helping me I will fulfill this mission and then this great phrase just as he said folks these are the power of words just in the book of Joshua I want to transition to your life if I may Clicker is acting like it's Canadian. Here we go. I used to live there. I can say that. As we deal with you, let's look at identifying those words that run unguarded in your head. Now, come on. Look at you. You're, you're a somewhat reasonable audience, mostly. A few exceptions. But I, I wish we had the technology that for each of you we could hook up electrodes Put them right here. And somehow on a screen, you can identify the words that run unguarded in your head. We don't want anybody else to see it. This isn't to bring any shame. This is just so you can figure out what runs in here unguarded. It's amazing and sad sometimes of just the things you allow to run unguarded in your head. Words, sense, feelings. Feelings. If you have positive ones, they start like this. You are, there's usually something pretty good that comes. I know for some of you, you go, you're amazing. (laughs) Yes, I am. (laughs) You can, and then fill in the blank. You can do this, you can be this, you can be that, you can do it. On the other side, it's, come on, you can't. You never, you know those phrases. Let's then identify the sense or the feeling that comes when you feel like you have missed what you wanted or needed. It just never happened. You're thinking, why didn't that happen to me? I kind of want this. I kind of need this. Again, these power of words. This global leadership thing I do, we've actually done now in some 50 countries of the world. It's intriguing to set up these young leaders' uh, institutes or young leaders' extended conferences, and they're invitation only, identify the best uh, 40, 50, sometimes up to 100 or 150 of the best young leaders we can find in any given country that year, and invite them in. And just to hear the phrases, dreadful phrases, of people who've been handpicked as one of the best emerging leaders in that country, and to hear it, and every time, when my mother was still alive i would call her and just thank her again for giving me this great phrase now i know this is hard to believe but growing up i was a fat kid yeah sure laugh at the fat kid some of you have no compassion at all and so there was just this tone of encouragement my parents would always go come on you can do that come on you can do that i believed i could i mean just i just grew up with this phrase you can do that my my dad died when i was young and my mom became a permissive parent so even in high school, I just always heard this phrase, you can do that, you can do that. I have figured out, I'm not nearly as gifted in reality as I am in my mind <laughs> because my mom gave me this gift. Sure, you can do that. <laughs> Remember the first time I went for a consulting job where I was charging way more than I was worth. And my wife said to me the night before when I was packing, she, she's going, are you at all nervous about tomorrow? I said, why would I be? She goes, you haven't even given any thought to what you're gonna do when you get there. Mm, not really. She goes, I know what you're going to do. You're going to scribble a few questions on a napkin on the way down. And I said, yeah, that's my plan. And she goes, I can hear the phrase. I can do this. I said, what's wrong with that phrase? And she just shook her head and she's going, it works for you, but you're not nearly as amazing in reality as you are up there. And I said, do you say thank you for that when your spouse says something like that? Thank you. Thank you. Again, the power of words spoken. They come in family structures. They come with the people you love. Because we're in church, they also come from God. But there's this corresponding sense of empowerment that comes. Makes you feel like you can do things that otherwise you probably don't have the ability to pull off. Come on, some of you know that. And then on the other side, unfortunately, there's some of you who really are amazing. Amazing. Like if we've gathered the people who know you best, it'd be unanimous. But on any given day, you don't sense that. I hope by the end of the service, you can have a sense that God wants to speak just some of those things with you. Now, forgive me if for a few minutes, I'm going to sound like a professor. Clinically, these are called deprivations. It's this sense that you missed something you wanted or needed in life. Fortunately there's not endless numbers of these, but they are the essential building components of human development. Now what we've done well is we've tracked two of these in children, we've tracked the physiological development, physical, and also the cognitive development. If you go to any local mall, go to the bookstore, you better go soon, who knows how long they're gonna be in business because of buying books online. But there's this whole section on the development of a child. And it's, you know, you, you know the stuff. We actually train parents in these. You know, a couple of weeks, your kid needs to be doing this. They need to be able to sit up here. They need to identify forms in this. Developmentally, we track it. And we're excited when our kid's ahead and you're a little concerned if they're a little behind. It's normative for parents. We do the same for physical development. Make sure they have the right exercise patterns, the right foods, et cetera, so they can be healthy and grow. I'm always fascinated by guys. <laughs> guys are always, I, I should look up the exact stats, but it's like when your son is like two and a half, if you double his height, that's how tall he's gonna be, or it's one of those things. And so I always have dads who are about five, seven, go, my son's gonna be six, four. But really, who, were you traveling a lot and somebody else snuck in, or? Well, how, like how's, dude, how's this gonna happen? No, he won't. He's just growing fast now. Give him time. He'll stop when he's like eight. Um, (laughs) But what we haven't done with parents, what we haven't done in family structures is coaching them, how do you build emotional strength into people's lives? And if you haven't figured out, emotional strength and spiritual development are just so intertwined. That's why when you read the Psalms, it's the psalmist wants to draw near to God. It's very often a cry of the depths of their soul, and deep emotion. They go together, and so here's sort of a half a dozen. There aren't endless numbers of these. There's probably about a half a dozen clinical deprivations that people face growing up. Here you go. The first one is just a sense of security. Maslow is right. Safety, security are very important. And think how many kids grow up in environments where it's not okay to be them. It's not safe. I absolutely hate the word abuse. Wish we could live in a culture that could just eradicate that from our vocabulary and our psyche. Because it's such painful stories. Next one's love. Everybody just wants to love and be loved, and it's the human experience. It's been interesting for me to work with people whose lifestyles are alternative, whatever that happens to be. In New York, it's pretty normative. And how many of them, although I'm a uh, committed Christian leader, come to me and go, you you make this so human. It's like I want to love God listening to this stuff. say the reason is because every human being just wants to love and be loved. It's normative. Parents, I want to take some pressure off you. There's only two things your kid needs growing up to have a shot at being a really good adult. It's these first two. A sense of personal security, a sense that they're loved. You give them that, they've got a pretty good shot at being a healthy adult. Don't give them that. And they always have a sense they've missed something. One of my ministries is with the excessively wealthy. I don't know how I got that. I mean, look at me. It's obvious, isn't it? But I grew up with, I work with these people whose kids got every gift you could imagine. My 16th birthday, you pick the car you want to drive, and I'll get it for you. They got everything they wanted and needed in life, except one of these, top two. The third one is a sense of intimacy. Intimacy is a sense of being... Understood, valued, appreciated simply for who you are. But see, when it's done in a context of relationship, it just empowers you to move ahead. Intimacy is all the way from understanding to physical touch, nurture. It's all a part of that human experience, the softer side, intimacy. Fourth one is affirmation. In an audience this large, we have people here who are actually affirmation junkies. You know that. Sometimes in places like church, there are people who do the right things for very wrong reasons. They do it to be recognized, to be seen, feel good about themselves. Affirmation. The next is confidence. We're going to make a distinction later between confidence and courage. But in family structures, it's just so amazing how much this confidence factor comes. And for those of you who have become people of faith, you've recognized that because of the power of God in your life. There's just a strength you didn't know you had before. It's amazing to me what he does in people like you. So I'm willing to come and speak in places like this and just go because I love the stories of what God's done in your life. It's an empowerment factor. And then there's significance, which is simply do I matter? Do I matter? I grew up in a really fun family. I was the youngest of four children, and according to my mother, I was the brightest and best looking. Um, Now, it's true—you should see the rest of them; it's it's quite dreadful. And uh, and they know I say this. My sister's actually been there when I do this part of this talk, and she's going, "Yeah, it's true." (laughs) We just had this fun family until I was ten. When I was I had just turned ten, and my grandfather, who lived next to us a mile down the road in the next farm. He died suddenly. I saw him every day, but I mean, come on—grandparents die. It's just a fact of life. Just a couple months later, my oldest brother was on his way to see his fiance. He was twenty; I was ten. It was just the uh, sun was just beginning to set. He was on a state route, and a, and a semi tractor trailer had missed his turn, and so he backed crossways of the road. My brother came around the curve, probably going too fast. Don't know sun was right in his eyes. He went underneath the flat bed of the truck, sheared the top of his car off, and died three days before Christmas. Changed our family dramatically. We didn't laugh nearly as much as we used to. Not long after that, I mean, it was the Vietnam era. My oldest brother was drafted into the Marine Corps and sent to Vietnam. Nine guys went over together. Only two came home alive. He came home alive, but he was a hopeless alcoholic. While he was in Vietnam, my sister went a thousand miles away to college, and so it was my mom and dad and me. My dad traveled a lot. It was really life was quite different than it had been. And then, at age forty-nine, without warning, my father had a massive heart attack and died overnight. I was fifteen, and it was my mom and me, and she cried a lot. What do fifteen-year-old boys need? Everything. (laughs) Everything. There was just nothing there. I think it's a lot of why my life's gone the way it is. I mean, I got, I got married young. I was 18, married an older woman. She was 19. And um, I think it's why when I came to faith as a young adult, it's why it made so much sense to me to connect with God as Father. He was the Father of my soul. See, everybody's story has a different slant here. I could tell you lots of them. I have actually recorded a couple thousand of these stories. I'll tell you one. I got a call from a pastor one day. He goes, Martin, I need help. I've got a young couple just came in. They're uh, I think twenty-four, newly married, eight and a half months, and she came home from work and found him with porn. Only time this has ever happened. But it happened. And so he said, Will you see them? So I agreed to. They came to see me and uh she was devastated interesting couple. He was a strapping lad, 6'4", 215, 220. Great looking couple. She was incredibly tall, modelish, good looks, just devastated. So we started to talk for just a little bit. And I said to her, how about if you go get some coffee? I want to spend time with him. Well, she was so happy I could fix her husband. And so she left and I looked at him immediately and I said, porn's not your issue. Yeah. What do you mean porn's not my issue? I got caught with porn said you got caught with porn because you're stupid porn's not your issue I said, what do you mean I said I'm willing to bet if your wife's not home and you come home and there's you can't find anything else you want to look at you actually pick up her women's magazines and look at the women in there don't you and he goes how oh, do you know that and I said I know a lot stick with me <laughs> I said when you were a kid growing up your mother had catalogs didn't she yeah I said you used to look at those didn't you Probably underwear, section, that sort of thing, right? Yeah. I said, no matter whether you're looking at porn or women's magazines or catalogs, you always look at the same part on a woman. What do you look at? He goes, you won't believe me? And I said, bet I will. He goes, I always look at their eyes. I said, of course you do. He goes, you believe me? I said, yep. Yeah, that's why this isn't about porn. This is about you being stupid. I said, tell me about your Mom. He got really defensive. He goes, "What do you want to know about my mom? Just tell me your story. Give me the narrative of her life." He said, "My mom was 37 years old. And had never been pregnant in her life. My parents decided they were going to adopt. They adopted me. Seven and a half months later, my mom got pregnant for the first time in her life at 38. And at 39, she had the daughter she'd always wanted." He said, tell me the phrase you remember most growing up. There's a key one, folks. Remember the phrase that you remember most growing up. If you don't remember a phrase, the sense, the look, the feeling. I said, Damn, give me the phrase you remember most growing up. He just put his head down I said, Come on, mate, talk to me. He said, I still remember. I was probably four and a half. I ran into the room to say something to my mother. And she looked at me, she said, will you get out of here? I don't even want to look at you. Here's a 24 year old, 6'4", amazing young man. There's a four year old boy inside, just wants his mom to love him. Human stories are intriguing. Because it creates this sense of longing. Sense of longing. It's why some of you shop too much. It's why some of you otherwise reasonable people sneak off and do unreasonable things. It's why the dark side of your soul you hide because of the shame. If you've got to bring it into the light, if it's ever going to be healed. It's the fullness of God coming into your soul to give you that love you've always wanted. It's how it works. What are the additional factors? Well, if you're going to deal honestly with this, it's about your fears. My wife grew up with lots of them. A few years ago on uh, Thanksgiving Day, we weren't doing I'm grateful for this kind of thing. But just out of the blue, she said, you know what I'm most grateful for? I'm most grateful that with all the fears I grew up with, I never passed any of them on to you kids. And our kids all in unison burst out laughing. They go, Mom, are you serious? We all have serious fears. And she goes, really? They, They don't. You seem like risk takers. And she turned to my oldest son. She goes, you seem like a wild man. And they said, because we saw what it did to you. And we decided we weren't going to do that. We weren't going to give in to those fears. By the way, I just did a tour of your children's ministry. Wow. You're teaching some kids some great stuff in there. And then you pass it on well at home. Thanks for doing that. It'll make such a difference, I promise. My oldest son's a big guy. Uh, he's finishing a PhD in LA. His mailing address is actually Beverly Hills. Now, remember, he's a grad student, so it's not the good part of Beverly Hills. But he's there, and he's uh, on staff in a church and finishing a PhD. Bo's about 6'4", 260, a good, good athlete. And uh, he was a part of a young leaders group. And one of the things they had to do is do. they had to repel a 100-foot cliff. And so Bo volunteered to go first. One of the ways you can do these clip, or when you're going over and repelling, you can just go over the edge and go slowly down, or you can do what's called Aussie style from Australia. You get out, and then you flip upside down, and you go down head, hands first or, if you prefer, head first. So Bo volunteers to go first. He's right at the load limit of what it will handle on this rope. And he lets out this big yell, runs, which you're never supposed to do, Runs, jumps as far out as he can, midair, flips upside down, and goes down hands first. And everybody goes, he's a wild man. I said, Bo, why'd you do it? He said, because I knew if I didn't do it with a flare, I wouldn't do it. I want to face my fears. those traumas that happen, etc. Let me take you to two analogies. Some of you here are old enough to remember file folders and file cabinets. Some of you remember those? Those things would grow out of control. A few years ago, as a professor, I had tons of these. And so I got my young staff to help me and we were throwing things away. And we actually pulled out a file folder that said contemporary trends. And the first thing in there was from 1988. <laughs> I needed serious updating. Here's the analogy that works more for most of you. Those of you who are um, young adults, college students and young adults, you may still have a room back home. They've made it very clear, it's not your room. It's the room where you stay when you're here, but it's not your room anymore. Parents make this very clear. So you still have a room at home. Some of you just, all your stuff's in a closet. For those of you who are parents who have a, an adult or a young adult or a very young adult or an older adult who still thinks they're a young adult, they, they still have one of these closets at home, and you say to them, I want the closet. Come and clean it out. Everybody has to do this. It's the memories of your life. And so you think, I can do this in two hours. I'll make my mom happy. I can do this in two hours. Everybody creates three piles. Stuff I'm going to throw away. Stuff I'm going to keep. Stuff I can't decide. For lots of us, the stuff I can't decide just keeps growing. But you, you open the door and it's like an avalanche. Stuff just falls out. And you're going, why did I keep all this stuff? Because it's the memories of your life. That's why. And so you pull stuff out. And there's a stuffed animal that falls out. This thing's just nasty. I mean, an ears folded over, one eye's hanging down. It's matted. Like, don't check the germ count on this thing. It'd be dreadful. But you yeah, but it got me through a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm going to keep it just a little longer. Some of you guys have a ball glove in there. They couldn't, it's not had a ball in that thing for years, decades. I mean, the thing is just terrible. It's twisted, the thumb's all twisted over. You can't use it till you have a serious stroke. <laughs> I should probably repent of that one. <laughs> but you go, but it's my first glove. I want to keep it. And you sort through the stuff of your life and decide, what do I just get rid of? What do I keep? What are those things I don't know what to do with? In essence, it's time to update your soul in the same way before God. What are those phrases I remember growing up, those things somebody said to me or about me, those values that I took on that went, I'm this way when in reality you're not that way at all anymore? Those things you've believed about yourself that are just lies. Some of them have stuck to you like a curse. They're just not true. It's time to update them, offload them, and then listen to the voice of your Father in heaven who will speak truth into you in a way you've never imagined. It's the coolest thing. Just the power of those words. Let's fast forward for just a minute. What are some healthy father contributions? Keenly aware that there are lots of children who grow up with neither parent or a single parent family. So these are just, if there's not a father or a mother in the home, it's how do we get these needs met? That's why extended families are so crucial, church bodies are so crucial. Family of faith plays such a role. Dad's about security the love quotient needs to be high there's nothing better than a father who's unguarded in expressing love touches appropriately speaks the words if you didn't get right as a dad please get it right as a grandparent and if you weren't a great dad and you haven't quite gotten it right pray for great grandchildren maybe you can be a great grandparent how about that confidence and courage And doing these young leaders conferences is always funny because there's typically a third or 40% are female. And inevitably, the women start to come one by one and they pull me aside and they go, Martin, there's a great mistake. I know this is an invitation only. I know there's a great screening process. But I figured out I don't belong here. I'm not nearly as sharp as these other women. And I should not be here. I I, I feel like I want to go home. So I just play along and I go, you're right. You are the one mistake in the whole thing. You, you probably don't deserve to be here, so let's just go and tell the leadership, and you, you can go home tomorrow. I look at him and I go, come on. You know that's not right. So now, tell me something. How old is the scared little girl right now? There's a key phrase. How old is the scared little girl right now? And every time they've got an age because of something that happened, something that was said, something that was experienced. And so I always say to them, okay, what do you need? You're going to stay. What do you need to go to the next level of your leadership? Inevitably, they say, I need more confidence. And I go, are you sure? Which is a terrible thing to ask a woman who's just said she lacks confidence. Are you sure? She goes, what do you mean? And I said, are you sure you don't need courage? She goes, what's the difference? I said, confidence means you don't know what to do. Courage is you know what to do. Come on, you do. That's why you're here but you're afraid to step into the arena and actually deliver. That's courage. It's fun in the children's ministry. That's what they're focusing on this month. Let's help our kids get it right. So you don't have to sit here 30 years later and feel what some of you are going through today. We can help you, but imagine if we can spare some of them from some of these feelings, memories, experiences. Fathers feed dreams. I love this one mothers it 's usually memories, fathers are dreams. My youngest son decided to take a gap year between high school and college. A gap year turned into I think, a gap seven, um, something like that. Uh, he was still twenty two and he 'd been in twenty four countries that 's a little excessive. He is like his mother and um, well, I, I was with him. We were in the, we were in the southern England, and we were, he had a day off, and we were headed over to look at castles in Wales and some other fun stuff. And he goes, Dad, it was so funny when you were coming, because you, you've spoken at this place where he was actually working. And he said, people sort of know a little bit about your reputation-wise, and then they know me, and I'm a little unique. And so they figure, what must Eric's dad be like? He said, so they couldn't wait to meet you. He said, you know this, but you're not a regular dad. And I went, come on, i went, I'm like a good dad. He goes, yeah, but you're not a regular dad. I said, well, what's that mean? He goes, well, like mom's a, a regular mom. I said, what makes her a regular mom? And he goes, you know, she just just loves you all the time. And he goes, she sends the best care packages, like everything I want, and she sends it. And then in the bottom, she puts a package of underwear. <laughs> she goes, dad, I'm 19. If I want to wear underwear, I'll buy my own. He goes, but see, you're, you're not a regular dad. I said, well, what am I? And he paused for a minute and he goes, You're somewhere between a mentor and a coach and a friend. He said, Dad, you feed my dreams. I looked at him and said, Isn't that what dads do? And I'll never forget the look. He went, How many dads do you know? Just feed the dreams. They're typically trying to be corrective. They tell you when you're a jerk. They mostly tell you what you've done wrong. He goes, Dad, I was a terrible jerk. You and I both know it. The world knows it. But you never told me that. You fed my dreams. Wow, I got one right. Did you hear it, Dad? Did you hear it, Grandfather? Correcting behaviors is secondary. Don't do the battle for the behavior. Do the battle for the heart and the soul. Pays bigger dividends in the decades to come, I promise. I promise. So what are some healthy mother contributions? Oh, they're key. Trust me, you need a mama. and If you don't, you always want to substitute someplace because they play such a key role. Mothers are the safety factor. Now, this fascinates me to no end. College football, especially professional football. You have very large men in very tight pants. <laughs> you like that one a little too much, didn't you? <laughs> you put the camera on them. What's the first thing they do? Hi, Mom. <laughs> of course, mom melts at home, and everybody else is going, dude, you you just like humiliated yourself. <laughs> Hi, Mom. It's a safety factor. Any ball player who gets hurt somewhere along the line, they want their mom. It's true. But it's also the love, the nurture component. But also note the memories. The memories. Love how many memories are tied to moms. Mom, figure out how to do some of that. Please. Please. Let's fast forward through a couple. I want to go to blessing here. Here we go. See that other stuff? There's really nothing there. I just did it so you felt like I had important stuff to say. Yeah, Let's begin to wrap this up, shall we? One of the best concepts, I think, in all of life is the concept of blessing. Bible's filled with it. Old and New Testament. Lots of teaching about blessing. I love that if life has been tough and when you have a life transition, both Old and New Testament, people are given new names. That's just intriguing to me. That your life is enough of a do-over. Your transition into a life of faith is so significant that God actually wants to give you a new name. And he did it both Old and New Testament. So let's look at what a blessing actually looks like. Blessing in a family structure looks like this. You say to someone, you matter. You as a person are valuable, not for what you do, but just for who you are. I care, I want the best for you. You can be something. You can do whatever you want. We'll empower you to do that. I'm here with you and for you. My youngest daughter, is getting married next Saturday. She uh, this last year passed the Pennsylvania bar and has just gotten a pretty cool gig. But when she was 17, she came to me and she goes, Dad, I know you read widely, but I'm I'm aware that you probably don't read 17 magazine every issue. I said, you're right, I do read widely and I don't read 17 every time. Uh, I try to read O every time, but not necessarily 17. It's, I'm speaking usually to an older audience. And she goes, uh, so I, I got an article here, and I want you to read it for me. And uh, talk to me in the next two days, please, demanding, like, like her mother. And um, so she'd given me this article, but she'd also highlighted it. Like I couldn't get it my, on my own, and she highlighted it for me. And I started to read this thing, and I went, wow, I, this is a little harsh. It was about how to affirm your daughter's. I I thought I was pretty good at this, but apparently not as good as I thought I was. First man in the history of the planet. Not as good in reality as he was in his mind. I was the first one, apparently. (laughs) But what I noticed she was highlighting is the mistake parents make is that their affirmation is too general. And as a girl gets older, they want it to be a lot more specific. So I went to her and I said, thanks for the article, I think I got it. She goes, Dad, I love that you love me. I love that you believe in me. She says, you're, sh- you're using the same phrases as I'm going into my senior year in high school. You're using the same phrases you used when I was 10. I believe you. Give me more. And then she used my own words against me. She said, Dad, I need you to become a student of my life. Wow. Well, That's a great phrase. The people closest to you become a student of their life. I'll tell you what. The people who see the power of God most speak the right word to the right person at the right time. It's just like it unlocks their soul. And those of you that experience that, you know that one. It's just the power of the spoken word. The blessing. Blessing in family, there's five components. I uh, have a book out there called How to Get the Family You've Always Wanted, which isn't how to get the perfect family. It's just know what you're shooting for so you know when you get there and you can celebrate it. But in there, I've got a couple chapters on family blessing. It's just these simple five components. It's a meaningful touch. A meaningful touch. I love to watch how families touch. I love to watch even in church. Somebody will put their hand on the back of somebody's head and just sort of stroke their hair a little bit. Um, I love to watch how people who want to communicate with authority, but tenderness, how they touch somebody else. It's how God works with us. Second the spoken word. Speak something directly to somebody. Typically, it's a high value You picture what somebody can become, this sort of special future that's theirs. See, it's one thing to say, you you can do anything you want to do. But it's another thing to say, I I see you great at this. I see you being able to do this. And I'm going to be with you and for you, standing behind you to make sure it happens if I can. Zephaniah 3, one of the best pictures of blessing in the Bible, just simply sounds like this. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will delight in you. He'll quiet you with his love. And he'll rejoice over you with singing. That's a great blessing. Men, I want to talk to you for just a minute. Because this isn't how God talks to you. This is way too wimpy. It's too soft. So men... Not some of you, but real men. Listen. Because here's what God wants to say to you I am the Lord your God, and I'm with you. I have amazing power, and I want to impart this to you. It's time to be a man, it's time to enter the no-excuse zone. You know what needs to stop: get it right. It's as if he's an Australian. He goes, mate, I love you. I like you as my son. I'm proud of you. I want you to influence other men. Not by anything you do, just by living out this relationship we have. Your life makes me smile. I'm going to give you a piece to replace that anger that you hate and the people near you hate more than you hate it. I want my peace to just come over you and quiet you with my love because it's strong. I'm going to give you a strength you never had before, but you've got to enter the no whining zone and no excuse, no complaints. Come on, it's time to be a man. And then I'm going to rejoice over you with singing. Come on, God's not going to say that to you. You don't sing well. Nobody wants you to sing. but he's going to put a song in your heart that you're going to hum. It's got a beat to it and you're going to hum. And it's going to give you strength and hear you never had. And when people are around you they're going to go, "What's that song?" You've got a song going in your head. Does it have any words or is it just a melody? Cuz dude, I like that song of your life. That's the kind of blessing God wants to give to men. Because he wants you to represent him well. Well. And as he said to Joshua, get up. Get this one right. It's time. It's time. I want to wrap up with this. Getting married young and having children early. My son came to me when he was 16, he goes, dad out on my friends, I'm the only one who likes my dad. I went, yeah, I'm the cool young dad. I had hair then, so I had a ponytail. By the way, ponytails on men are like black pumps for women. They're classics, they never go out of style. (laughs) So when my son said that to me, I of course flipped my ponytail and went, cool. I didn't give much thought to it. Six and a half years later, my next son, came to me he was running with a tougher crowd and he came to me and he goes dad it's really weird like a lot of my friends don't have dads and those who do boy they don't like their dad because what why is that because I'm like the only one that likes my dad I, I hadn't he didn't know about the conversation with my oldest son I thought boy this isn't this is not cool that I'm a fun dad this is just sad we got to do something about this so my oldest daughter just started college, so I said to her, hey, check with your guy friends and see if any of them like their dad. And she goes, that's kind of weird, I'm not gonna do that. And I said, just sort of slip it into a conversation. A Couple weeks, get back to me. But well, she got back and she said, Dad, I talked to 11 guys. Only one had anything positive to say about his dad. Went, huh. So I put together a very simple four-question survey. I've now done it with a little over 2,000 men in 11 different countries. We've got samplings from 33 countries and cultural groups. Simple four questions. What's the best aspect about your relationship with your father? Secondly, what do you wish was different? Number three, one regret you have about how you responded to your dad. This way you don't just get to be a whiner of what you wish he did. How, how did you blow it too? And Number four, if you could change one thing about your relationship with your dad, what would it be? wasn't quite prepared for the responses. Here's a summary of the most common responses. Often with deep emotion, young men would say, just wish we were closer. The first of 500 that I did were all ages 16 to 23. And then I started to present some of this material and older guys came to me and said, why don't you run it up to 40, see if the variables change at all. And they only changed slightly. I wish we were closer. Sometimes men just don't know how to do it. I wish he respected me more. It's funny in some families how long you remain a boy. Just can't get the respect. I wish he listened more. I wish he yelled less. I wish he wasn't so angry. I wish he wasn't so angry. I had 38 young men sitting in a pub in Belfast, Northern Ireland. I'd put out a survey or, or uh, advertisement that said, I'll buy lunch and one round of drinks for anybody who wants to come um, ages uh, 17 to 29, to and had 38 show up on a Saturday noon they were my research base in, Dublin, in, uh, in Belfast. And it was actually there that I got what's going to be the title of the book when it comes out. One guy choking back tears. I mean, this was not a Northern Irish group at all. I mean, he, these guys were choking back tears the whole time. And one of them just let out a deep sigh and he said, just wish my dad and I could be friends. what happens when fathers and sons become friends. Folks, here's why we're talking about this. Because very often our experiences of God and how we see him have to do with family structures. So here's what I want to do as we conclude our service today. Some of you want and need a blessing you've never gotten in life. So as a dad and a representative of God, I want to try and speak some of God's words over you. But only to facilitate in a way that his spirit can come and speak his words of blessing over you. You you know what's missing. You know how big the hole in your soul is on your worst days. You know that. And so in just about 60 seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand. Those of you want to have this prayer blessing over you. Afterwards we'll also have elders and spouses and other amazing people up here to pray with you if you'd like. But in the next 30 seconds if you're going I want one of those. A, I want to fill up this hole in my soul. I want to finally be feel like I'm a woman with the blessing of God on my life. I want to feel like I'm a man who represents the Father well. I think this is my season and I want it to go to the next level. For those of you who want one of those prayers of blessing, you know who you are. Just stand where you are right now, please. I want to pray a very specific prayer. If you want one of those prayers of blessing, yeah. Some of you either move slowly or aren't quite sure. Come on, don't act like you're from western Pennsylvania. Get your hands out of your pockets. Let's get them out there. You're going to receive something from God today. Come on. Get your hands out there. I want you to hear this today. Your Father in heaven knows your name. And he wants you. He just wants you. He wants to take the worst of who you are and redeem it and turn you into the best of who you can become. He doesn't want from you a bigger or a better or a deeper commitment. Any of the religious stuff that we usually use, it's not what he wants. He just wants you. He wants a connection between the very heart of the Father and your own. And for some of you, he wants to say to you, I'm sorry you had to go through that. Sorry, your dad died when he was when you were fifteen. I'm sorry. Sorry, some of the stuff you hoped for, longed for, dreamed of didn't happen, but we've redirected and given you some good stuff. So he's going to speak to you very specifically, and then he's going to say to you, "I've got a dream that you've not yet realized." And if you'll listen, he's going to speak words over you to replace the old phrases. You're no longer this, you're this. Today, right now, in the name and under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, we identify all of those phrases spoken over you that have stuck to you like a curse. We break them and sever them now today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, Father, in its place, will you speak those words of grace and empowerment that simply say, I want you. I have a dream for you. I want to use you in a way you've not dreamed of yet. I want to put a new song in your heart. I want to use you in ways you've not even considered yet. I want to quiet you with the depths of my strong love. I want to put a new song in there. It may or may not have words. But it's going to replace that old stuff with something very new. For some of you, your name has been battered around. Your family name has gotten stuck associated with some not great stuff. So, Father, in these next two days, there's a few people here that you're going to give them a new name. Speak it so clearly they can't miss it. Now, right now, I'm going to ask the very Spirit of God come and touch you in a place you need touched. For some, it's going to be the healing of memories. Just going to put a hand on your head and go going to take away the power of some of those images. We're going to take the power away from some of those names. The power away from those things that have limited you. For some of you, it's a feeling. It's it's more in your chest cavity. He wants to come and fill it up. Don't hide in there anymore. Come out. Let him fill you with some stuff that the Father wants to give you. It's the fullness of his love. You don't even have to earn it. He just wants to give it. And then right now, for some of you, he's going to give you a picture of a dream you've never had of your future. Because he's got a dream for you. You know that. And so there's no more excuses. He wants to give it to you and wants you to realize it. That's the best of the Father's dream for you. And so now receive these words My daughter, my son, receive from me the best of what I want to give to you. I am the Father of your soul. I'm not only the God of the universe, I'm your dad. And boy, do I have stuff for you. Come. Let me give you the strength, the power, the courage to go do it. Represent me well and pass it on. Now today, for all of you who are standing, I simply bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. May you know the depths of his peace. May you sense the empowerment of his spirit. May you go forth from here, enjoying the best of the Father's love in your life. Bless you. Amen. Now I'm going to give my favorite benediction. Will all of you please stand? I'm going to give you my favorite benediction in church. Now that you're all standing, please leave.